0: Jesus, we thank you for the gift of music, we thank you for the gift of song, we thank you for the opportunity to dwell in your presence, by your grace and through faith, that each one may be safe in the dwelling place of God, in the arms of God, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, as Pastor Jason just read, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. John Wesley said that grace is the source and faith is the condition of salvation. I believe that everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ in some way has some form of faith. But do we possess the faith that, that, that Paul is speaking of? Do we possess the faith that, that leads us unto salvation, that, that leads us to, to access this, this grace, this wonderful gift that God has given us? Is our faith of such that it, that it leads us, us to, to a, a salvific relationship, or do we possess a dangerous faith, a counterfeit faith, a, a false faith that may be deceiving us in some way? Is that thing in our life which we call faith, the true faith of Jesus, or is it a detrimental faith that actually, unbeknownst to us, can lead us in our walk away from Jesus? This morning we're going to look at some dangerous types of faith. Faith that can pass for very real faith within our modern culture, and and faith that can even pass sometimes for real faith within our Christian culture, but is ultimately, ultimately not salvific faith. There is one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism. Ultimately, it is not that salvific faith. Now, we're not talking about faith here in the regards to, I have faith that there's a miracle that can happen, or I have faith when I say a prayer that, that God will hear and answer that prayer. We're talking specifically about in the context of a faith that leads unto salvation. There's different aspects of faith, but this is speaking in, in regards to salvation, in regards to our relationship, our, our internal relationship with Jesus. In each of these examples, I want us to to examine ourselves and to think of ourselves. One of the dangerous things always within church when, when we're talking about different subjects is is we can, we can avoid ever applying it to ourselves and we can simply apply it to someone else. Maybe the person sitting next to us, yes, my husband really needs to hear this message today. Or, or kids, stop distracting your mom. This is, this is her right here. She's, she's the trouble in the family. Or maybe we could just categorize all Christianity and say, yep, this is the problem with Christianity. But I believe all these dangerous faiths, all these faiths that, that have some danger to them, I think all of us probably in some way or another at different times apply these faiths to our lives, and, and, and maybe more often than not, which can be the true danger. So apply this to us. Let's look at it from our own perspective. Which one of these dangerous faiths maybe asks the question, do I struggle with? Do, do, I, do I have a challenge with? Open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, if you would. We're going to look at the first of these these dangerous faiths that can be perceived as faith, or one can even say, yes, I have faith in God, but but is it really the faith that leads unto salvation? Romans, chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Paul writing here, "...for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made." Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four footed animals, and creeping things. There is a faith that exists even within Christianity, but even in the larger world. There is a faith in a higher power. There is a faith in in God, but it is a faith of the ungodly. Those who through the evidence of the world surrounding look around and say, yes, there is a God. Yes, there is a higher power. Yes, I, I see all these things. I acknowledge that there is a God. They have a faith in God, but their faith is futile because they believe in God they be, while they believe in God they have fa- and while they say they have faith in God, they actually believe more in something else and have greater faith in something else. And often that something else is their own ideas, their own, uh, their own uh, revelations on things, so to speak. Their, their, their worship is not truly about the creator, but they've come to worship the creature, which is oftentimes self. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they actually become fools. Verse 23, they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They say, yes, there is a God, but you know, God is probably more like me, and thus I can, in a way, be my my own God. Verse 25 summarizes both of these. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We have believers that have this type of faith. They have this type of faith. These are the folk that will read the Bible and say, I know what the Bible says, but I don't agree with it. Therefore, this is my truth. I had a friend in college, we were having a discussion, and her and I were debating something. I don't even remember, honestly, what the, what the topic was. But we were, we were going back and forth on this topic, and I was convinced. Challenging her on what she believed. And at one point I said, you know, well, the Bible tells us this. And I explained to her what the Bible told us. Her response to me was, yes, I know what the Bible says. Okay, so, so, then, so then what's the problem? She says, I just don't agree. Uh, okay, let's go back again. The Bible says this. Yes, I know what the Bible says. Well, aren't you worried about that? And here was her answer to me. God and I have our own deal worked out. I almost just fell off the steps, which many of you are worried about on a regular basis. God and I have our own deal worked out. When I heard, what? I know what the Bible says. I don't agree. Wait, isn't this a problem? No, God and I have our own deal worked out. This is an ungodly type of faith. This is a faith in that I believe there's a God, I believe there's a higher power. I I read the Bible, you know, but truth is truth and this is the truth that I decide is important. We see this type of faith being expressed in the world in relationships to, to questions on science or in, rela- or in discussions on relationships, how people deal with their kids or how people deal with their money. This is the type of faith to maybe bring it even a little more personal into us. This is the type of faith that, that says, you know what? I know that the Bible says that I should give an honest tithe, which is 10%, but I'm going to start at 2%, and God will be okay with that. This is the type of faith that says, I know that, that the Bible instructs us that the, the Sabbath is a holy day and the Sabbath is a day to be spent with the Lord. But, you know, I prefer to do this on the Sabbath. And really, isn't God's purpose ultimately my joy and so I'm going to do this? It's, it's where they, they, they understand or they recognize what the Bible says, but they've created their own truth. It's an ungodly type of faith. It is a dangerous faith. Because it is not a faith that leads unto salvation, it leaves out Jesus in that it denies his truths. Then there is the faith of the devil, and the faith of the evil angels, the the spirits. This too is a faith that surprisingly is possessed by many Christians. By many of us, far too often we have this type of faith. In the Gospel of Luke chapter four and verse 34, the demon cries out to Jesus, there's a demon that sees Jesus and he cries out, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. This demon knows who Jesus is. He knows that he's, that he's the Messiah. He knows that he is from God. They recognize also, the demons recognize what is truth and, and what is error. The woman who was possessed by one of the devils, one of the, the minions of, 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 of Satan, stalked the disciples in Acts chapter 16. And, And what was her message to the people as she was stalking these disciples in Acts chapter 16 and verse 17? She says, these men are the servants of the Most High God who show unto us the way of salvation. She was basically proclaiming, these men are telling you the truth. They're sharing with you truth. The devil and the demons even fear God's authority. James chapter two and verse 19. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The devil has faith. The demons have faith in Jesus. But why is it a dangerous faith? Why why is it a faith that, that does not lead unto salvation but actually leads unto death? Because it isn't a life transforming faith. The demons believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. They believe he is a Savior. They believe that he teaches truth. They believe he has authority. This authority even makes them tremble, but that belief doesn't change them. There are Christians that operate in this same manner. Christians that have a faith. That doesn't change who they are. Christians that believe in Jesus. Christians that know that, that, that Jesus was sent from God. Christians that, that know the truths of God. Christians that even at times, they try not to think about it too often, but sometimes they do. And they think about his authority, and they tremble, wondering if they're okay. And yet in their life, they have no life change. They look, and they act and they live like the world. There are Christians like this. They believe all these things. They, they understand all these things, and yet they, there is no life change in them. Christina, when we were first married, she helped me to see an area of my life in which I was living like this, in which I was living in this way. I have a lot of friends that, that predate my, my Jesus days, and I get together with them, and and, and Christina, when I would be around those individuals, said, I don't want to be with you. And primarily she was speaking with, about me and, and, and my best friends, my closest friends. Well, why, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Oh, it'd be nice if you're there. No, I don't like to be with all of you guys, why? Well, for one, you're like a, a bunch of girls and no offense to the ladies, that's what my wife said. That's a quote from a girl. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're a bunch of chatty, you know, chatty girls and you don't let anyone else get a word in edgewise, so I don't want to be there. And uh, But she said, but also I don't like it because you're different. How am I different? Well, you compromise when you're around some of those friends. Well, you know, I was thoroughly offended by this. Uh, how, how do I compromise? And she began to, to share with me. You know, when you're around your friends, you, you begin to say things that you probably wouldn't say in, in other groups. You, you tell stories that probably God doesn't want you to share anymore. You reminisce. On, on some things that you guys used to do that probably God's not too thrilled about. You laugh about things that, that I don't think probably God laughs at. She goes, you compromise. You're not really being a, a witness. Say, so, well, I don't drink or curse anymore. You know, it's, I, I'm good enough, you know. It doesn't matter you're not being a witness. She was right. She was right in that. Probably if some people came around and they were around us, they wouldn't be able to tell unless I said something overtly that I was any different than than these individuals that I was with. In many ways, I was living out this devil's type of faith. I knew who Jesus was. I, 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 I claimed to know his truths and understand him, and yet in this area of my life, there wasn't really change when I was around some of those friends. The devil and his angels have faith, but but that is a faith that doesn't lead to salvation. It is a faith that also, like the first one, denies Jesus. It denies Jesus in that it denies the power of Jesus to change lives. It is not a true faith that leads unto salvation. A third faith I see in Christianity but is, but is not ultimately a faith unto salvation is the faith of the disciples prior to the death of Jesus. If you read the, the Bible, you see that there is a definite difference between uh, with the disciples pre-crucifixion uh, and resurrection and post-crucifixion uh, and resurrection. And, and this is a faith that is, that is part of our growth journey. I, I understand that. We see that with, with the disciples. But this faith can also become dangerous if we never grow out of it. You see, the disciples had a, a faith that, that, was, that was dangerous because it was a faith that could become very easily about me, myself, and I. It is a faith that is, that is more conditioned on the environment around you and what feels good to you than on what actually is. It is a faith that can lead to self-worship and, and self-promotion, which is what happened with Judas. The disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah. The disciples literally gave up everything to follow Jesus. They, they had so much faith that they were able to perform miracles, and they went from city to city and proclaimed the message of Jesus. But their faith also tended to skew towards what they wanted, and their faith tended to be most prominent when things were good. Their faith was more sometimes about themselves and, and what they could get from Jesus Rather than the relationship with Jesus. Think about Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. Then the mothers of Zebedee's sons came to him with their sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. That's from Jesus. And he said to her, to the mother, What do you wish? She said, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in the kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And then I love verse 24. I just like to include verse 24 because it's amusing to me. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You know why they were greatly displeased with the two brothers? It's not because they were so righteous. It's because they were upset that they didn't think to send their moms to Jesus before these guys did. That's the reason they were displeased. But the disciples in this case, their faith was about the power. Who, how can we use this relationship with Jesus to, to get what we want, to, to have power? Remember what happened right after Peter proclaimed Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And some say, you're, you know, you're this prophet or you're that prophet. And Jesus says, yeah, but what about you? Well, Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, of course, Jesus tells them, this is truth. And on this truth, my kingdom will be built and then right after this, Jesus tells the disciples that he is going to die, that he is going to suffer and die. And what does Peter do? Peter pulls him aside and scolds him. He says, don't talk like this, Jesus. You see, Peter liked the faith part. You know, his faith was such that he could handle Jesus giving him a pat on the back and saying, good job, Peter, good answer. But he didn't like the part when Jesus said something that made him uncomfortable. And so he pulled it away. Don't we often isn't so so often within Christianity, don't we have faith like this? When Jesus was taken captive, all the disciples, other than John and Peter, and we know that Peter went in hiding, abandoned Jesus. Their faith was strong, but when things got rocky, they didn't like Jesus' ways quite so much. They 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 were they were they were strict followers of Jesus, but 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 their faith was more about what was comfortable to them. Could we admit that it is much nicer For us to think about our faith in the context of I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly than it is to think about our faith in the context of in this world you will have trouble. I mean, which one of those would you choose? I mean, if you could choose one. Lord, I want the faith that will give me life and give me more abundantly. How many of you would choose that faith? Any of you honestly in here? Can we ask for the trouble? Not a whole lot of us would would probably go that route. And that's a natural human experience. But, but I mean, we're, that's how we live our faith, though, so much. I want the abundant, I want the abundant, but the moment something goes a little bit wrong or it becomes troublesome, then our faith is, is a bit shaken. This is a process of our faith, but, but God desires us to grow out of this because this can become dangerous. Think about one of the most famous texts that I hear regularly around graduation season. It's one of those favorite verses for graduation ceremonies and graduation speeches. For I know the thoughts or the plans that I have for you or that I think towards you. Depending on what version you're using, I'm using the New King James. Says the Lord, thoughts or plans for peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. How many of you have heard that? That text, I mean we hear that text all the time at graduation, one of the favorite texts, for I know the thoughts, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And I'm sorry folks that I'm about to burst maybe some of your bubbles. But this text is God telling the people of Israel that they're going to remain in captivity and and that they need to make the best of their situation. That is the context of this passage. God is speaking to a group of people and he's saying your situation is bad and you're grumbling and you desire for there to be change. Guess what? You're gonna stay here. So make the best of it. You might as well build houses and plant gardens because you're gonna remain strangers in this land. You're gonna remain enslaved to these people. And then God says, but I do have a plan. I have a plan, but it's not for you or your generation is what basically God is saying is there's this plan that I have for the people of God down the road. But he's just told them, the majority of you are never going to experience this. Your reality is going to be this situation. But we've taken that verse, and we've made it a verse that is so soothing and comfortable and warm and fuzzy. Now there's a lot of soothing, comfortable, warm, fuzzy verses. You're welcome to embrace those. But my point is, is we tend to, in Christianity, to figure out a way to make it as, as, as comfortable as possible. We want our faith, sometimes we want our faith to be like that of the disciples, a faith that is content in the rosier times, but struggles when the junk comes along. Again, this faith is dangerous because this faith ultimately denies the power of Jesus to get us through the most difficult situations of life this faith denies that the power of god to save us even in the worst of circumstances is still there and still available for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god grace is the source john wesley said of salvation faith is the condition But within Christianity, there can be all kinds of faiths, but ultimately they are not the ones that really put us in a position in which we can grasp, grasp the grace that God has for us. Grace is a source, faith is a condition, but it must be the faith, the true faith that leads us unto salvation. This is a faith that is not the faith of the ungodly, it's not the faith of the devil or his evil angels, it's not the faith even of the disciples prior to, to the death and resurrection of Jesus. No, this is, a faith, that is uh, a faith that is directed and submissive to the word of God. This is a faith that believes that, that, that Jesus can change our lives. This is a faith that, 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 that is, believes in the power of God even when we're living in that time of trouble, even when things are not so rosy. This is a faith that believes in the authority of Jesus Christ and allows our hearts to be touched. This is a faith that is like Zacchaeus' faith that that is a faith of action that when something happens, we we respond to it. Zacchaeus in chapter 19 of Luke, chapter 19 and verse uh, uh, eight, we read that Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. That wasn't a work that earned him faith or earned him salvation. That was a result of the salvific faith that was already in his life. It is a faith that leads us unto salvation. Is a faith that is firm even when things don't go well. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. Great text. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. These people all lived with faith, and they, they died not having received what they hoped for, what they longed for, and yet they still had absolute faith in God. What is the dangerous faith that you may struggle with? Maybe there's one more that I haven't mentioned that—that is yours, that is mine, that we struggle with maybe the most, and maybe it is the most dangerous faith within our community. It is the faith of the Pharisee. Is the Pharisaical faith? This faith submits to the Word of God. It embraces truth. It wants to do right and it wants to reject wrong. This is a faith that, that, that desires to be changed, wants to be changed, believes in change, works for change. This is a faith that is willing to go through persecution even. The power of individual will is amazing. They're willing to go through struggle. There was no one that could fast like the Pharisees and deny themselves like the Pharisees. This faith is so dangerous. Why? Because it can be so similar to true faith. Embraces right and rejects wrong. The word of God is their roadmap. These people are are truly changed, at least outwardly. This, This faith will actually endure trial and tribulation. This faith is so dangerous because it is so much like the real thing. But at the end of the day, it is also a dangerous faith because it is a faith built upon oneself and one's works. They read, by by grace you have been saved through faith, and they say, yes, that's us, and we must focus on that faith and work on that faith, but they forget about the last bit of that text. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. They forget about verse nine, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Brothers and sisters, it is only by the faith of Jesus, that is a faith given to us by Jesus, that we can Be saved. We don't want any of these dangerous faiths. We want to reject and deny all these dangerous faiths. But the only way to receive the true faith isn't something that we can work for, or strive for, or or fix our lives for. It's only a faith that can come through the power of Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you all to see this. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, let me find the verse. The author here is writing Hebrews chapter 12 just after Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, of course, is the faith chapter. And then Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And folks, I think too many of us build our faith on verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And so many of us say, I want to have the faith of those those heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. And so I'm going to lay aside this weight. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us run the race. Let me run the race that is set before us. This is the run of salvation. And we see it say, let us lay aside every weight. Let us run. And we say, yes, I've got to focus on that. I've got to work on that. I've got to do that. But we forget about verse two. Which then says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The only way to run the race of salvation from verse 1 is to look unto Jesus, who is what? The author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. If someone is an author, what are they? They are the one that begins something. They are the one that starts something. They are the one that initiates something. They are the one that creates something. They are, the, they are the motivation to do something. Jesus is the author of our faith. In other words, He is the one that created it. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that initiated it. He's the one that started it. He's the one that gives it to you. Not anything that you do, not anything that I do, but only through Jesus. He is the author and he is the finisher. That means from that first spark of faith that you feel in your life, to to that mature faith that you have as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, from that first spark of faith to that mature faith in Jesus, he is from the beginning to the end, the only one that puts faith in you and there is nothing you can do to get that salvific faith. It's only through Jesus. From first to last, from beginning to end, it's from Jesus. Ellen White, a wonderful preacher, preached it well in her sermon through faith alone. The Lord Jesus imparts all the powers, all the grace, all the penitence, all the inclination, all the pardons of sins, all the pardon of sins in presenting his righteousness for man to grasp by living faith, which is also the gift of God. I love this. I love this. She says, all the power All the power in your life that you have to to overcome sin, all the power in your life you have to achieve anything, she's saying, is from Jesus. All the grace that you have in your life to, 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 to be forgiven, to receive salvation is from Jesus. All the penitence. You know when you feel sorrowful about something? That little spark of sorrow in you is, is from Jesus, that's not from you, you're not somehow special and more, more sensitive and more sentimental, you know? Some people are really sensitive and some of us are not quite so sensitive. Well, in all of us, that sorrowful feeling that we have, that's all from Jesus, whether you're sensitive or not. All the inclination, every time you have an inclination to do good, whether you're uh, with God or against God, all inclination to do good is from God. All the pardon of sins. And she says, all of this is, is from God that we might grasp by living faith. And, and we could stop right there and say, look, see, I'm supposed to grasp it by my faith. I'm supposed to take hold of it. I'm supposed to do this. And then it's almost like she she forgot. There's a dash there in the sermon, which is also, she says, the gift of God. Oh, yeah, this is also the gift of God. All the power, all the grace, all the penitence, all the inclination. All the part of sins is from Jesus. And oh yeah, that which you grasp it by, faith, that's all from God too. That's all from God too. Folks, we are saved by nothing but by the grace of Jesus. And it comes through faith. And I know that I've spent a lot of time saying I I must Work on my faith. I must work on being more faithful. I have this area of faith and I have this struggle and this struggle. I must be more faithful. I must do more. I must do more. But at the end of the day, just like all of grace comes from Jesus, all of faith comes from Jesus as well. He's the one that gives us to it, gives it to us. We ask Him, Lord Jesus, give me that salvific faith. And even the desire, Ms. White says this, even the desire to request that comes from Jesus. That is a gift from Jesus. So when you have that desire in your spirit, even that is a gift from Jesus. Will you pull out your connection cards now? My response to today's sermon, there on the back of the card. My response to today's sermon, the message was clear. We cleared up that first line. Last week it said, the was, was message was clear or something. There was a bunch of wases in there and I don't know what it said. It wasn't clear to me. But the message was clear. If it's clear to you today. I will memorize Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. I think this is a, a wonderful uh, uh, scripture for us to memorize and to plant in our hearts and plant in our minds, to remind us that it's not by works so that none of us can boast, but is a free gift of God, that, that the grace and the faith of Jesus are a free gift of God. They're not by our works. Third one, pray for me. I struggle with the dangerous faith of the what is one of those that you struggle with? Do you struggle with the dangerous faith of the ungodly? Do you struggle with saying, you know what, I know what the Bible says, but but I'm not really comfortable with it, so this is what I'm gonna believe. Do you struggle with that, that type of faith? I believe in God, but I struggle with that. Pray for me, I struggle with the dangerous faith maybe of of the demons and, and the devil. You struggle with that one. That, that faith that, that you believe, you know who Jesus is, you know he's a savior, you know he speaks truth, you know his authority, and yet you don't really grasp that faith. There's no, you don't really claim Jesus' power to change your life. I struggle with the dangerous faith of the disciples prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or maybe you struggle with the dangerous faith of the Pharisees. Maybe in trying and working really, really hard. One of the most disciplined individuals that I ever knew, folks. One of the most disciplined individuals I ever knew at a church I pastored at back in Georgia. A good man. He had been a preacher his entire life. But man, he would talk to me about, we've got to do better, we've got to do better, we've got to do better, we've got to do better. And not too long before he died, he was talking to his own son, as challenging his son on something and and his son said I mean this man was he lived by all appearances one of the most christian lives I mean he would be a a, a standard bearer and towards the end of his life he was having this discussion with his his de- with his son and he was so frustrated and he said dad what if Jesus tells you when you get to heaven that this wasn't so important, you shouldn't worry about it so much. And he yelled out at him, Jesus would be wrong. <laughs> Folk, let's surrender to Jesus. It's not just say we're Christians or pretend we're Christian, but let's truly be surrendered in every area to Jesus' truth, to Jesus' ability to change us, to Jesus' ability to to strengthen us in the tough and the difficult times. Let's surrender to Jesus that, that it's his work that has completed the task, and we live in that and respond to that. What is your dangerous faith you struggle with? The last one on there is, Jesus, please give me a saving faith. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I desire in my life a saving faith. I know that some of these dangerous faiths I still struggle with. But Lord, I want to stand upon you and you alone, Jesus, in every area of my life. When things are good and when things are bad, Jesus, I want to stand upon the solid rock of you. Jesus, I want to stand upon the truth of your word. I don't want to I don't want to put my own ideas over top of the truth of scripture. So Jesus, help me in that. Jesus, I don't want to work anymore trying to save myself, but I want to be wholly dependent upon you. Lord, my, my work is that I surrender knowing that I can do nothing. And Lord, even that desire in us, in myself, is from you, Jesus, and I thank you for that. Lord, whatever the dangerous faith of the individuals in here, whatever it is in my life, Lord, I pray that you will give us an extra measure, that you will give us that full measure of the faith that leads us to the wonderful gift of grace through Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.